they talk about what I call technocratic communism in very um, euphemistic terms. Welcome to the show that the fact checkers warned you about. The one that debunks the mainstream narrative and gives you high signal, actionable content that helps you navigate the clown world. It's Bomb Thrower TV with your host, Mark Jeftovic. Pleasure to have you on. I loved uh, I loved your book, uh, which I had read uh, a couple years ago, uh, Unassailable, uh, which really the second half was a little bit more technical guide. But the first half was really a history of uh, kind of modern censorship on the Internet. And uh, I saw on Zero Hedge the other day, you're writing on another book on a topic that, you know, I've yelled about quite a bit. So I was excited to talk to you about it. Yeah, well, it's great to to get on the show with you. And I mean, we've known each other a number of years, so it's nice to catch up live. And yeah, unassailable. I probably should do uh, a second version of that, just because the technology, the this you know what's called coming to be called sovereign computing, right, is is made leaps and bounds since I put out that book. Um, you know, like a couple of shout outs. There's things like Ghost, uh, there's Start9 uh, operating system, and there's just more and more methods for people to take control over the technology. So everything you put in the cloud is is becoming more of a personal cloud thing and becoming decentralized. And there's more options and more development. And it's still very much under the radar, but I'm, I'm looking forward to that gaining more momentum and gathering steam. Hell yeah. So for today, uh, as you know, Biden's not showing up, but as the world leaders get together and they discuss what they're going to do to mm -hmm. uh, fight carbon, you wrote an article on Zero Hedge about carbon allowances. It's something yeah. that we've spoken about on this show with the capabilities of uh, a central backed digital currency, what they might do to limit our carbon usage. So it's a serious topic. And to start it off, in your estimates, uh, how many farts are we going to be allowed a year? I don't know. It might be more of like if you're a member of the Liberal Party in Canada or the Democrats in the States, you might be allowed more farts than, <laughs> you know, MAGA voters. Um, you know, it's every time there's one of these COP conferences and it's always worth noting that a lot of the attendees arrive on private jet and super yacht. And then I always wonder, like, what's going to get taken away this year? Right. At COP26 which I guess was two years ago, they, the big bullet points and takeaways were meat, right? Uh, methane. It's like, oh, methane is worse than carbon and cows are a big source of methane. It was cow farts were under the microscope then, not people farts yet. But what was, I wrote a piece then too, because what was interesting is if you actually took a look at the menu from that conference it was like grass-fed wagyu like the carbon footprint of the menu for the attendees <laughs> was more than a month's worth of rations for the rest of us plebs and that's how these people operate with no sense of irony or self-awareness it's they tool around they give pontificate from gold-plated thrones or solid gold thrones about wealth inequality and and we're all in this together. And uh, 
the rest of you, I always say it's everybody else. The rest of you are going to have to ratchet down your standard of living. So the piece that you're talking about that kind of went a little crazy this week, um, a travel agency out of England called Intraped Travel in conjunction with um, like a think tank called, uh, I actually, uh, Future Lab, and they, they have the, an umbrella name. They put out a report. It came out actually early October, and they said that, you know, climate, the climate emergency was going to lead to a condition of like travel extinction, right, was, was the thing because, you know, Bahamas would sink under the sea or something like that. And so there'd be places where climate change is so bad you can't even go. And then what would happen is governments would impose travel restrictions based on carbon passports um, in the future to limit people's travel, except theirs, of course. And uh, I think they put the year 2040 on it. So I wrote it up. It was in the October um, Bitcoin capitalist letter. Uh, I pulled out an excerpt. I put it on bombthrower.com over the weekend and it just went crazy, right? And uh, uh, because people are just coming off of the lockdown era. We've had two years, like you, if, if you and I would have been talking about this without COVID, without the pandemic, right? People lockdown, think we were insane. People would think we're like two randos out of 4chan, right? Like l listen to these guys. But now like everybody, a lot of people lined up for lockdowns. A lot of people um, said, yeah, this is the right thing. And they still believe it to this day, despite all the harms being um, coming out of in studies now. And, and we could, the list goes on. We could rhyme them off all morning. Um, we, but pretty well, even polite company knows the lockdowns did more damage than, than good. But people stood still for it. And during the lockdowns and beyond the lockdowns, people, um, you know, these think tanks and these supranational organizations like the WEF and whoever, they've been saying the quiet part out loud saying, wow, we really reduced carbon emissions during lockdowns and maybe climate lockdowns will be next. Um, that is quickly moving out of the conspiracy theory realm because, I mean, people are putting out white papers about it. And so this particular one, you know, Future Labs, they kind of strike me as a, as a wannabe World Economic Forum. And, and uh, they talk about what I call technocratic communism in very um, euphemistic terms. You know, they've got another report. I haven't finished reading it yet called uh, neo-collectivism. They think is going to be the big trend of the future. And uh, it's just basically, you know, a polite way to say technocratic communism. So let's talk about the, uh, the consequences of the system. So I, I guess the... The critical features that they would need in terms of infrastructure, either a central, a central back digital currency makes it very easy because then they get to see what you're consuming, how much carbon do they tie to your consumption, and then basically not letting you make specific purchases because you're over your, your allotment. So the infrastructure, if you have a central back digital currency, is very easy, or if they create some different mechanism for uh, tracking your purchases, which it doesn't seem very easy without that aspect. I could, I can understand how with modern technology, they could track us enough to execute on this. 
I'll hand it to you though, to kind of let people know what the consequences of them telling you, Hey, here's your carbon allotment. Like what does life actually look like if they were to step in and do that? Let's get to that, but let's, yeah. let's, let's get there by talking about CBDCs themselves as the natural rails for this kind of a system, right? right. Because for one thing, climate alarmism is bulldozing this, the, the middle class, right? We're basically, it's a controlled demolition of the economy. And the reason why, like, why would leaders want to destroy their, their economy? Well, if the whole thing is based on debt, right? If the whole thing is based on an expanding debt bubble that can no longer be expanded, then somehow you have to let the air out of this bubble. And you have to try to do the unthinkable in modern economics, which is deflate. Like deflation is death when you're using debt for money. So we've got this huge debt bubble. And in my mind, I always say the easiest way to understand debt is just its future value pulled into the present and consumed now, right? So it's we've pulled all this future value into the present right. and we've spent it. We've used it up. So how do you then get in front of this? Because we can't pull any more future value. Well, you have to get the rabble to tone down their standard of living, right? You have to get them to like stop living beyond their means. And, uh, uh, this, so it's a forced austerity, but under the guise of saving the environment. Exactly. And so, you know, de-dollarization is a thing. Fiat debasement is a thing. So what do we do? Okay. In a way, and people kind of take, take me the wrong way when I say this, they're actually taking a playbook out of the sound money playbook by saying, we're not going to back money by debt anymore, these symbolic tokens that denominate debt backed by nothing. We're going to back money with carbon, carbon emissions, CO2 emissions, CO2 footprints. This is now the hard backing for your money. And the way to deliver it and to track it, because that's non-trivial, is through a central bank digital currency. And we all carry these things around with us. And so our entire lives are in here. Okay, well, that's where it's, you know, our lives will be gamified into our phones. My only um, uh, caveat around that is you can't call it money anymore, right? Because money is something that you can save. It's something that you can spend when you want, where you want, why you want, and all that goes away. So this isn't money anymore. It's not money backed by nothing. It is now a social credit score capped by your carbon emissions. So how pervasive will it be? Well, if you're living in a world where your business is on lockdown, your business is like shut down, uh, for whatever reason, right? If you're if you're completely dependent on stimmies and emergency payments from the central bank to not starve to death, that just shows up on your phone every month. You're gonna adhere to whatever rules they put on that system because you have no other choice. If you have no independent means of wealth, if you have no other assets outside of this system. Uh, then it's kind of a no-brainer. You have no choice but to comply. And there's a whole, unfortunately, class of people who are going to like it this way. You know, the people, like, we all know them. They've got the uh, the right avatars and the right flags in their Twitter bios, and they're going to, like, 
you know, they're going to go along with this because we're all in this together. So there are a certain portion of the population is going to be on side with this. They're going to be like the new lockdown enforcers, right? But there's going to be a lot of involuntary compliance, like people like don't want to be in that system. And, uh, and then there's going to be people who have means outside of that system. And this is where I do get a lot of pushback because I'm a, I'm a Bitcoin guy. I love Bitcoin. I say Bitcoin is the anti CBDC. Bitcoin is the antidote to all of this stuff. And people tell me, well, the governments are not going to allow Bitcoin. Um, we can talk about that. We just covered a lot. I don't know if you want to go back over anything or just. No, no, I liked I liked where you were segueing with it. That the uh, uh, explain to me. So how? Because I, I listen. I like Bitcoin, and uh, I'm friends with Guy Swan. I've had the the Bitcoin Maxis on here, yeah. and I fully understand from a technological standpoint how this is the greatest solution for peacefully defunding government. Mm -hmm. But I do also wonder that, you know, government's got some tricks up its sleeve and they like power. And mm -hmm. so the idea that if it really challenged their power, that they would just lay over, take it, not either make it illegal, harder to use or potentially hack the system or whatnot. So give us the uh, give us your case for how, you know, this is going to successfully circumvent the CBDC. OK, so there's a few different inroads you know into into this conversation but where i like to start is um the basic premise that the government is this all-powerful entity and a monolith right right the wef controls the world and what i tell people is that the wef would like to control the world and the government would like to control the world and i i live in canada and i certainly know the the liberal socialist coalition would love to control all of canada but governments are not all powerful entities. And what's going on in the world today, the actions of our governments do not point to an all powerful entity consolidating power. They point to sclerotic, disintegrating, slow moving behemoths that are completely out of their depth in a new, in the new decentralized, highly complex world. The governments today are linear institutional industrial age relics in a decentralized topology of networks right? so just uh I, I guess uh you ever watch the show venture brothers no okay uh, no no, no. I, I i can make it really simple if tomorrow let's just say out of the sky dropped watches that i could teleport myself to anywhere in the world and we all receive these watches that would be a technology that was so revolutionary government would not be able to control it because it would it would have been given out too quickly for them to then go ahead and protect the airlines and the oil industry like think about all the industries that would almost need government protection from that technology to go out of existence so if one person created it in a lab government might be able to get in the way of you know it getting to people but let's say someone managed to make that in a way that they were able to give it out so quickly the government was forced to embrace the technology because they had no choice. People were already using it. People already loved it. People's lives are already changed. The economy was already booming off of it. They'd have no choice. So I think that's kind of what you're saying is that if you have a technology that's so good and is so efficient, then you can beat government because you are quick, quick enough in terms of the distribution of it. Is that kind of the argument? 
Pretty much. I mean, it, it's a, it's, it's a bit more, it's a bit, it's not just outpacing the government. I mean, what I, what I always say about the era we live in now and, and the government solutions to the problems we face in this era is they're just trying to implement linear extensions of the industrial era. Right. So okay. I always say they're trying to come up with faster horses in an age of cars. Right. Right. And so they're never going to come up with a horse that's fast enough because they're still thinking in this top down, you know, hierarchical, rigid infrastructure of central planning. It's like, let's just put a team of eggheads together that are going to whiteboard this whole thing out, figure it out, implement a bunch of policies and reality will conform. And we're seeing over and over and over again in every avenue that that's not the way the world works, right? None of the lockdown models panned out. None of the vaccination models panned out. None of the interest rate models panned out. Like they can't even get interest rates right. So are right. they going to micromanage the entire economy and like put a lid on Bitcoin? Bitcoin has a life of its own. If there was a time when the governments of the world could have stopped it, it's too late now. It's a legitimate constituency. And one of the other things I, I say about it is like it, love it, hate it. Big money has already decided that Bitcoin is a thing. So, you know, I'm not a huge Larry Fink fan, but when BlackRock filed for the spot ETF, I basically declared victory and said <laughs> Bitcoin, Bitcoin has achieved victory. And, and in fact, I described it because... Larry Fink was fond of, of using the phrase forcing behaviors. He said, I'm going to use my market weight because I'm the largest shareholder in every publicly traded corporation in the world. And I, we're going to use that influence to force behaviors into ESG, right? And he hated crypto and he hated Bitcoin. And what happened? BlackRock first started doing institutional custody for high net worth clients about a year and a half ago. And then they filed for the ETF. And I keep joking, like in the in the list, in the mailing list, who got their behaviors forced, right? BlackRock got their asses forced by Bitcoin. Because I can tell you what probably happened is behind what we see publicly, some very large pools of capital and wealth and fiduciaries and pension funds and all of these places that to whom they entrust places like BlackRock, they said to them, we want to allocate to Bitcoin and you're either going to give us a pathway to allocate to Bitcoin or we're going to like do whatever we have to do to find a pathway to Bitcoin. And at that point, I mean, you answer to your clients. I think the right. market forced BlackRock into Bitcoin. I know there's all these theories that they're trying to take it over. Yeah, okay, we can talk about those. But in the end, um, you're going to tell me that the world's wealthy, right? Like not everybody is sitting on the board of directors of the WEF. There's a lot of wealth out there in the world. And you tell me that governments are going to go to them and say, we're coming up with a new money system. Your capital, your liquidity is all going to be locked up in, in electronic bonds and digital currencies that we can turn off anytime we want. We can devalue them anytime we want. We can put expiry dates on it when we want. We can limit how much meat you can consume with it. And you're basically living at our whim with all of this capital base that you've built over possibly generations. 
And I'll tell you what the people who are sitting on those large piles of capital are going to tell those governments and those banking systems is they're going to tell them to go fuck themselves. That is not happening. They would rather go out and buy an aircraft carrier completely equipped with nukes to say, this is not happening. You do whatever you want to your internal debt system or whatever. We are not putting our capital into that system. It is a non-issue and it's a non-starter. And for that, we actually benefit because that happens all across on a fractal level. So from the retail investor and the small, the minnows who are actually the biggest sort of uptake in Bitcoin these days, everybody is saying that. So the governments, they may wish and want to put all capital under this CBDC system. It is simply not going to happen unless they think they have the power and the will to just enact a complete global 100% authoritarian dictatorship well, that on the ground tomorrow. Here's, here's how I, I, I can see them selling it. Um, one sale is just, hey, all of your government benefits are coming through this. Which means yeah. that the world's poor, like even if it's even if like, let's just say you're only let's just say your your tax rebates coming through that. Let's just say just that alone. Yeah. And hey, you got to go get signed up. You got to put this on your phone. Your tax rebate rebates coming through this. 80 percent of the like you're going to have your maybe one percent holdouts like me or you who go, hey, that's the trap. But then what happens when it's hey, your health care credits coming through this or if you're on Social Security, your Medicare, your Medicaid. If all of a sudden all the benefits are coming through it, and I'll tell you another kicker is if they start saying, hey, any payments made through this currency, you're no longer responsible for keeping your own tax records. We're mm -hmm. going to take our cut automatically. So yeah. in, that, in that sense, there's a massive efficiency and the ability for them to literally bribe you and go, listen, I know that this is a new technology, but if you want the equivalent of, let's just say, $20,000 a year, here's how you get it. Yeah. Now, we, if, if we're right, I think if we're lucky, there'll be a two-part system where uh, the central bank digital currency exists, and that happens, but they don't actually outlaw cash and all the other usages. And maybe more and more people realize how inflationary the currency is, and so you do see people who are moving towards a Bitcoin or even building base layers off the Bitcoin. Um, but I certainly see how government has enough incentive incentive tools and how even like the natural per like technological progression towards digital currency. Like I, I, I see how I, I just kind of see how it makes sense. Yeah, it makes absolute sense. And you're right. And that's exactly how it's probably going to play out. And a lot of people are going to go along with it. And that's why my solution almost sounds glib, which is like, don't be reliant on government entitlements. Right. right. If you don't want to be completely beholden to this system. Now, where I run into debate or we might run into debate is people will say, well, they aren't going to allow the other system to exist. They're not going to let you go to the grocery store and use these non CBDC forms. You see, of that's where I uh, just to agree with where you're going. It's uh, uh, what's it says law. The good currency will drive out bad currency. I think it's currency? Gresham's law. Gresham's yeah. law. Yeah, unless Gresham's they have it backwards, law. actually. No, you're right. You're Gresham's right. Gresham's bad currency drives out the good. Sorry. Yes. Yes. So my guess is that, like, if there's a second option for a different currency, it will probably be preferred. 
And so I think as long as government doesn't outright ban alternative currency, even cash, it will continue to exist and it will probably be the preferred currency. Yeah. And people are like, well, they'll just ban alternative forms of cash. And that, that brings me back to the large, right. the large. I'm just, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I guess I am interrupting you here, but if you just think right. about the concept of a black market and how much money exists currently in the black market, yeah. so you're telling me that if I, if I want to get meat over my quota, like just think about how much demand there will be for, for black market goods if they actually went through with this. And then you can think of currencies basically built off the guaranteed redeemability. That's part of what gives the US dollar its uh, value is the fact that I can pay my taxes in it. If there was a black market for being over just, you're not even talking about drugs, alcohol, prostitution, gambling. I just want another hamburger, man. Yeah, I just want another (laughs) hamburger. And then you can see, yeah, the alternative currency is going to do very well. Yeah. And then again, you go back to the large um, corporate and wealth capital bases that just say, um, that have the standing and the clout to say to the government, if people want to pay us in Bitcoin, we're going to take it and there's nothing you can do about it. Right. Right. Um, so let's, uh, this is uh, a bit of a segue, but I was reading your uh, article about digital wallets and mm-hmm. I've seen, um, I, I, I recently, I've talked about this on the show before, but I was reading uh, Safadon. I always mess up his name. Safadon. Yeah. I was reading his more recent book, um, which was uh, the the fiat standard. Yeah, Bitcoin and, standard first, fiat standard right. second. Yeah. So when I read the Bitcoin standard, I was like, oh my God, Bitcoin's the greatest thing that ever happened. I was all about it. And then I read the fiat standard and uh, I'd love, uh, hopefully I'll have him on the show one day. And I didn't yeah. read this that recently, but I came away with a, a more negative picture of Bitcoin because what he was describing in the long-term usage was Bitcoin almost being the base layer for transactions to then happen, one for it to be the base layer, and two for transactions to kind of start happening on other networks, kind of on top of Bitcoin as the base layer. But the other part that sounded kind of negative to me, just in my understanding of human psychology, is that you're also talking about a structure that included um, a lot of fees, and everyone kind of likes things that are free. Um, mm. So I was reading a little bit of your piece on the, and and what I'm describing is a little bit of like the Bitcoin cash argument, which is if Bitcoin was supposed to come in and really be a new tech revolutionary technology, uh, the fact that it's kind of slow, it, the technology doesn't seem to be there that I can just, you know, the pizza problem. I can't walk into most stores and just easily pay Bitcoin. I'm a Bitcoin fan and I still have my money on the exchanges because I'm lazy and I don't want to deal with the wallet. I lose things Ouch. all the time. I understand. But the problem is, if I'm reserved about this, the point I'm trying is to make is converting your average mom and pop into the system. Yeah. You got to make things free and easy. That's the way people like the back end cost. People are stupid. We're all on the internet. We're giving away all of our data for free all the time. And you can convince all of us, hey, you're a dumbass for being on Tinder. But hey, I got laid last week. We're all, <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Like, we're dumbasses. And Bitcoin kind of relies on almost an aspect of uh, human intelligence of wanting to, you know what I mean? Being forward looking and going, hey, I want to get out of the government system. I want to build my own ability to have my capital in my hand, be able to travel with it. Uh, To me, there's still some technological friction that no one's created. And I'm stealing from your article now, the iPhone of Bitcoin now, which just makes it easy and readily accessible. So I hand it back to you to maybe kind of explain some of the tech developments that might be coming that will, uh, you know, revolutionize the industry. 
Yeah, I mean, there's. I had a friend in the late 90s when we were sort of like tooling around and looking at this new thing called the World Wide Web, and he showed, was showing me like a mosaic browser. He's like, hey, check this out, right? Right. And, uh, and he said, you know, we're very much in the Edison stage of this story uh, called the internet. And I think we're still very early. I mean, think about it. Bitcoin's been around like, what is it, 13 years, 14 years? Like, since right. 2000, like we are so early in this story still. And you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, I, <laughs> I was actually like, I had to do something in cold storage the other night and I was terrified. It's like, you know, I'm like, oh my God. And like, I knew what I was doing and testing and all right. this stuff. And it was still like, yeah, we are a long way away from being able to like have mom and like everybody's mom and pop using it. But we're also making great strides. Like I go to a conference and I buy a t-shirt using lightning and it's right. just, it's literally magic internet money. Like the guy just showed you, yeah, here you go. And I just, you know, scan the QR code and it happens instantly and it's done. And that is like, I tell people a few years ago, I say, and look, people have to self custody. They have to own their own keys, but they want PayPal. Like that's the right. world we live in. And that's the tension that we have to solve going forward. And I think we're starting to get there. And I think that's why, um, you're going to see a lot of the innovation on the layer two, right? right. The lightning well, and things like it's and right. I think you're a hundred percent right. Of it's like a PayPal because if you gave me the equivalent of a Venmo on my phone, and I had to convert X amount to to Bitcoin, I guess the only here's the only problem that you have, and maybe it gets fixed. You still have a little bit of a volatility problem in terms of for. Like most of us still think in terms of dollars and you're converting kind of your Bitcoin $2 in order to make a payment. Yeah. You still have like, and that sometimes it's just a mental problem. But it, it, if you get to a point where Bitcoin's gone a long enough period of time and it doesn't need to like, it doesn't need to have drastic upwards movements to excite people as much as if it hit a threshold that people knew it wasn't coming down from. Yeah. I think you'd have more people who are just like, I'd rather hold the, the chief, like uh, the core, you know, sale to Bitcoin is, Hey, government will always inflate and erode the value of your currency. This is yeah. a fixed amount and it can't go down in value. The problem is, is that what we saw kind of in the last bubble was that it traded like other financial assets where people were getting all this free money and the speculators were just pouring it into Bitcoin. So you had to run from, let's say, I'm not, I'm not even going to call it a natural level because you can't call it that. But let's say it floated around 25 or 30 and it ran all the way up to 60 based off of the speculators. The speculators treating it like a financial asset does ruin the ability of just having that feel good feeling, which is kind of the core value of it, of if I'm holding a Bitcoin, this is not going to go down in value. My dollar is going to go down in value. Everything else is going to erode its wealth. This will not. It almost needs to hit like some sort of a like critical mass of price stability where it's used more as currency and less as like a speculative asset that people would be like, I'd rather hold my like average people would go, I'd rather not convert an in and out for transactions. I'd actually rather hold the Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. So, and we're, I think we're seeing, I mean, we did say, I did say we're very early in this stage and you see this, right. this huge volatility, these waves. And I personally think that over time, like those waves are going to smooth out. 
and those highs will go away. Those lows will go away. There will always be a band. If there's something to measure it against, like a fiat currency that still exists, you know, it's always going to go up and down against it. But I think those waves will, as time goes on, those waves will sort of like extend and, and, and not be as extreme. The last run up, you're right. Everything was going, everything was correlated. Like it was, there was that mantra. It's all one trade. Right. And, uh, uh, and I mean, I like, uh, it was Dimitri Kafinas, hidden forces guy who coined the phrase financial nihilism. Right. And so it was like, yeah, it doesn't matter because they're printing money like crazy. And so it, that was actually a kind of a mild hyperinflation was what was happening, except it was happening in assets because right. people were like, they're, they're printing this stuff out of thin air. They're literally pulling it out of their ass. Every time, every dollar they pull out of their ass makes the dollar in my wallet worth a little less. And I'm going to just put it into whatever, anything, because everything is going up. You got, you know, Dave Portnoy pulling stock symbols out of a Scrabble <laughs> bag and, right. and making hay on it, right? That was financial nihilism. And for a while, uh, it was all one trade. I think... What we've seen over the last bear cycle and the other thing there was a having there was a bitcoin having like right at the beginning of that COVID. right thing. it was almost like holy moly did the stars align on a run up um and there's another one coming up in april but um i think what we saw or we're starting to see this year is a little bit of divergence among asset classes so people are kind of starting to go um you know if the stock market goes down for a few weeks it's not like cryptos and commodities and it doesn't all move together anymore things are starting to like starting to drift there's still a lot of correlation but there's everyone's still watching what is the fed going to do with rates and things like that but things are starting to drift closer to their own fundamental drivers right and the bitcoin volatility will smooth out over time I think um, what I look at is the total market cap of Bitcoin and I compare it to the total market cap of bonds. And I realize that this is, we are extremely, extremely early in this picture because Bitcoin is still like, you know, half a trillion dollars in bonds, depending on what you count, like call it 300 trillion of dead right. men walking. <laughs> um, you know, if just one or two percent starts saying, well, we want to be someplace other than these devaluing paper currency bonds, fixed income, uh, it's going to really change the game on things like gold and silver and Bitcoin and even the rest of the cryptos. They're all just going to find another level, right? They're going to level up one more time. I mean, again, anyway. There you go. All right. We covered quite a bit of ground before I let you go. Uh, why don't you plug wherever uh, people can find you if you had any uh, last thoughts you wanted to get out? Sure. I mean, bombthrower.com is like uh, my main blog and, and mailing list and stuff. If you uh, sign up there, you get a copy of the Crypto Capitalist Manifesto, which I wrote like three years ago and probably should rewrite. Um, but the new book, the CBDC Survival Guide, um, I'll, I'll send that out to everyone on the list when that's finally done. Uh, my premium letters, the Bitcoin capitalist.com uh, and uh, 
my day job is I run a, a web host uh, domain company called Easy DNS, and uh, we pride ourselves on not being cancel Karens. So, um, you know, we're based in, out of Canada, and uh, if you need a domain website, you want to be out of the clutches of uh, the huge big tech platforms, we're a, we're a friendly place that has your back. There you go. And just to give you you a nice plug, I uh, for. I don't know. However, anyone sees me, I don't have an easy time concentrating or reading. I'm an ADD person. Uh, you're a great writer. Everything's very interesting. And it's, uh, it's like, it's an, e while the topics are dense, I'm telling you, I'm telling everyone here, go check out the blog. It's uh it's an interesting and easy read. I never find myself spacing out or overwhelmed. So I really do plug it. High praise. Thanks a lot, Robbie. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, we'll do it again down the line. All right. Love to take care. Later.